Hi, this is Jill Jarris. From September 2017 through April 2020, this podcast was known as Olympic Fever. We've since changed its name to keep the flame alive, but we're committed to keeping our back catalog available to you. So please keep the name change and this disclaimer in mind as you listen to it. Olympic is a trademark of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, or USOPC. Any use of Olympic in the Olympic Fever podcast is strictly for informational and commentary purposes. The Olympic Fever podcast is not an official podcast of the USOPC. The Olympic Fever podcast is not a sponsor of the USOPC, nor is Olympic Fever associated with or endorsed by the USOPC in any way. The content of Olympic Fever podcast does not reflect the opinions, standards, views, or policies of the USOPC, and the USOPC in no way warrants that content featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. And then the next text was, you brought tears to my eyes. Mesdames et messieurs. The greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Oh! You can do it! You can do it! Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant! But that is an Olympic champion. Ready? Hello and welcome to Olympic Fever. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by the lovely Allison Brown. Allison, hello. How are you? I am well. How are you doing, Jill? I am super excited today because we are talking with one of the other Olympians who is an official. Oh, today we're talking with ice hockey linesman Jessica LeClerc, and Jessica has been tapped to officiate at her first Olympics, and I'm so excited for her. And then we're also... She is so excited. She, oh gosh, wouldn't you be? She was so I mean, excited. It was so fun. <laughs> and and I got to tell you, because because I officiate sports, and since like 2012, when I really started getting into officiating, I started noticing at London, like the, the people in the back and their official blazers and doing their officiating things, or, and they just kind of started sticking out to me. And I was like, oh, that would be so cool to be one of them. You started fangirling on the refs. Right. Yeah. So I am really happy we uh, were able to talk to a ref. And she's re- she's got some interesting stuff to say. So uh, that's going to be a great interview. And we're also talking with ice hockey forward Brianna Decker, who's on the women's national team. She was also on the team in 2014 when they got a silver medal. So uh, I talked with her at Team USA Winterfest back uh, with the 100 100 Days Out celebration, so that will be good. I know ice hockey seems like a pretty straightforward game. It's popular, at least in our part of the world, uh, and especially popular where where we live in this part of America. But um, if you're not familiar with hockey, it's a six-on-six sport played on ice. One of those people is your goalie, and uh, your goal is to... Well, your goal. The object, goals. Yeah, the object of the game is to get a puck in the opposing team's goal, and uh, the one with the most goals wins. The, it's played at three 20-minute periods, and it's pretty. It's a fast sport. Uh, there can be some body checking, and it's it's really exciting to watch. In the Olympics, though, no fighting. So that's something that we see in the professional leagues around here. 
and even some of the kids' leagues. Yeah, sadly, sadly. <laughs> but uh, professional uh, Olympic hockey does not have any fighting. There are a couple of things that a linesman really looks at. One is offsides, and that is when there's on a hockey rink there there's like a center line that's red and then a blue line that's partway down on either side of the half. That's that's the border of the offensive zone. So if a team is attacking and they're trying to get to the puck to that side of the, the ice, they can't cross that blue line until the puck cross first. So if somebody is in there before the puck goes, then there are offsides, and that gets called. Likewise, very, the... very different from offsides in, say, football. Yes. Even though it's the same term, it has a very different meaning, so... Don't get confused. Well, American football. Yes, Let American football. Clarify. <laughs> I know. I know. There's offsides in the other football as well, but I, I honestly couldn't tell you what that is off the top of my head. But uh, yeah. um, and then if the puck gets out of the offense, out of your offensive zone, everybody's got to get back on the other side and then have an off on have an onside attack again. So that's one of the things to look for. Another uh, call that a linesman makes is icing. And icing is an infraction that occurs when the player shoots the the puck across both the center line and the blue line and the other red line. It goes basically from one end of one side of the rink to the other without getting touched. Sounds tasty, but isn't. No, no, it's not. Not good. There's there's some uh, exceptions to that rule, but basically you can't shoot the you can't shoot the puck all the way out to clear it out. But anyway. (laughs) conversations I like watching hockey I'm really bad talking about it (laughs) I have to agree with you I do like watching hockey I don't know the ins and outs I know the very basics right Um, and I've seen hockey live which is so much fun and so much faster than what it looks like on TV oh yeah it's amazing how fast they move they skate so fast, even at, you know, the high school and college level. They are amazing skaters. So that's one thing that does make it fun to watch. And at the Olympics, it's a tournament style play. So there's a little qualification pool and you get out of that and you go into the medal rounds. But for more on the sport, we'll get the experts in. So here's Jessica and Brianna. I am going over to officiate the Olympics as a linesman. I'm licensed as a linesman, and so I was chosen to be a linesman in the Olympic Games. Um, So each of us is licensed as either a referee or as a linesman internationally. So there are um, a total of 19 officials going over. Nine of us are linesmen and 10 are referees. Okay. What's the official language that you all can do it in English? English, yep. Yep, Can which you, is good for us. <laughs> have you ever officiated in another language? No, um, but I have worked with officials who English is not their first language um, and also been on the ice and had to try to communicate with coaches and players who don't speak English at all or very, very little, which because it's a sort of a universal rule book and a universal um signals that we use and the rules are are consistent you know whether you're playing here in the u.s or you know overseas we use the same iihf rule book so in terms of trying to interpret and having those conversations it's not as difficult as you would think 
because oftentimes it's the nonverbal language and where you are and even communicating with, you know, another linesman whose whose English is, is not so good, you're able to sort of get to where you need to go to be able to officiate together. Can you tell us a little bit about the licensing process that yeah. you've had to go through? Yep. So here in the U.S., and it's different everywhere, but in the U.S., we go through um, USA Hockey, which is our national governing body of hockey here in the U.S. And so you apply and get invited to attend um, training camps in the summertime, and you essentially work your way up the ladder, um, working going to these camps, working national tournaments, and, and getting recommended. One of the, the last highest camp that we have here in the U.S. is called the Elite Experience. And at that camp, our supervisor of officials here in the U.S., Matt Leith, he determines whether he thinks you should get licensed internationally. And if you get chosen to get your international license, he submits your name and your information to the International Ice Hockey Federation, who then either says yes or no, that we will issue an international license for this official. So that's how you get your your license, is you basically get recommended from your national governing body of hockey. Okay. Um, and then the International Ice Hockey Federation is the one that manages all the international licenses for hockey officials. When you get invited to the training camp, do do they pay your way or do you have to pay your own way? At the higher level camps, um, they pay our way to go. And so, like, for the Olympics or any other world championships um, or any other, um, you know, any game that we do, we get paid. We get paid to do the games and we also, they pay our way and, and whatnot. So it's usually not something we have to pay for. So we don't, we don't pay for our international license either. They, the national governing body pays for us. Which is, a, a, to me, I'm, I have to say, it sounds like a pretty sweet deal. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's an opportunity to go out and do something I obviously enjoy, but also get paid to do it. And, you know, the international piece of it is fantastic because I get to travel internationally and I don't have to pay for it. I don't have to pay for my, you know, my flight to wherever. So you can't really go wrong with with traveling on somebody else's dime. (laughs) (laughs) And it would be a very expensive trip. Yes. Yep. How many games a year do you, or tournaments do you end up officiating? Do you have an average that you like to maintain? No, it, it varies every year depending on what the mix of games I do. Throughout the course of the season, um, I do various leagues and levels, so everything from youth hockey to women's professional hockey. I do a lot of, you know, high school hockey here in Maine, but I also do, you know, like Division three college hockey. So it just depends on the schedule and, you know, basically how many games I can sort of realistically fit into my schedule. But typically, I'll have a game Friday night, and then usually two on Saturday and maybe one on Sunday and maybe one or two during, you know, Monday through Thursday, depending on the, the week. And then I sprinkle in as much as I can some youth games as well. And those are shorter. Those are only usually an hour long. So you can get, you know, a few, you know, two or three games in an afternoon if you can. So it just 
it varies. The seasons, uh, the season starts essentially at the beginning of November is really when most of the, you know, college seasons are underway. Division one starts earlier. Um, so, but November 1st is really when everybody is going and everyone's seasons are started and it ends. My seasons have always ended the first week of April with the Youth USA Hockey National Tournament. So it's a, it's a long, drawn-out season of having anywhere from, um, you know, four to six games in a week. Some weeks are lighter, some weeks are heavier. Um, it just depends on what what games I get assigned and what what the schedule is like, how much, you know, if I have to travel, if I have to go to Massachusetts for a game, you know, then I probably won't be available to do a game here in Maine on that day. So it's it's hard to say average because it, it changes every year and, and what it looks like. With that kind of schedule, what does your – do you have off-ice training? Do you have a regimen that you stick to, to to be able to keep up with that? Yeah, um, I try really hard to continue. Obviously, in the off season, it's really easy to train. And you know, my this past summer, I was gearing up and preparing for the pre-Olympic training camp in Switzerland, uh, where we had off ice testing. So you know, my schedule this summer of and routine of going to the gym and working out, eating healthy, getting enough sleep, all those things that all the athletes do, that's what my summer was like. Typically, it's not quite as strict, but I do keep a pretty good routine of, you know, working out, eating healthy, getting enough rest, um, because it is a long season. It is very strenuous mentally and physically, but it's also, it's not my full-time job. So I do this in conjunction, and all the officials, other than if you're an NHL official, do this as a second or part-time job. So for me, you know, the the routine is really making sure that I'm taking care of me off the ice and and making sure that I'm I'm physically and mentally able to go um, every game. Have you dealt with injuries for yourself? Knock on wood, I've, I have not. <laughs> so I've been extremely lucky that I haven't had any injuries that have taken me off the ice for any period of time. Um, you know, the, a cold or flu, you know what I mean? Something minor, you're back right, at right. it. I've been extremely lucky, and I'm knocking on my desk right now because <laughs> <laughs> I've got a month ago before the Olympics, and so it's not a good time to get hurt. <laughs> So what other, do you do like mental training? Do you do, how often do you study the rule books, et cetera? I can say that I am in a rule book almost every day. A couple of reasons. One is we actually work out of multiple rule books depending on what league we skate. So the NCAA has their own rule book. Youth hockey has their own rule book. High school has their own rule book. International games have their own rule book. So, and every rule book has some different nuances and changes within them. So it's very rare that I go through a day where I'm not talking hockey, not looking through rules. Um, To prepare for the Olympics, I have started to take the international rule book because I don't use that one as often, like during the season. Um, The international games, they're not as common as, let's say, a high school game or a college game that I'm doing on a regular basis. So when I start preparing for, like, the Olympics, 
I start reading the rule book from the beginning and I start taking notes and I start reviewing different situations and scenarios and I'll, I'll have that already. And I'm going to anticipate that my part of my flight out to South Korea, I will have that international rule book out and studying like I'm prepping for a, you know, a final when I was in college to make sure that, you know, those rules, I know them front and back of that, that rule book and not mixing it up with a different rule book that I may be more accustomed to. So a lot of times it's really just glancing through, looking up a rule, or I had a game over the weekend and there was something that happened in whatever game. Let's say I had a college game and I had a penalty situation that happened. I may look up that rule in that, that rule book to make sure I applied it correctly, and usually I'll look it up in the other rule books just to say, okay, if this happened in this other game, how would I apply the rules? And, and that happens, you know, regularly where it's, I wonder what that rule is in that rule book and, and looking it up. Have you come across something uh, unexpected in the international rule book or something really strange? Uh-huh. That you're thinking, you know, what, why would they have this rule? How would this ever happen? The only one that I can think of, and it's not really in the rule book, but it's kind of a procedural thing, is that sometimes in the at the end of a game, like a, there's a minute left in the game, um, and a team is down by a goal and they need to score, they may pull their goalie and then put on another skater on the ice. So they have six skaters on the ice because they're trying to score to tie up the game. And one of the things international that, internationally that they want us to do as linesmen is that the, the next whistle after the goalie's been pulled, we have to skate down to the empty net and, like, check to make sure that they didn't leave any objects or snow piled up in front of the goal crease. And to me, that's the strangest thing, because if they left something there that was big enough to stop the puck from being from entering the goal, you would think you'd be able to see it. But we have to skate all the way down the length of the ice and actually physically go down and check and, and make sure. And that, to me, is like the silliest thing I've, I've ever had to do and are told, you know, we have to do it. Um, but it's like, at what point did someone say, this is a great idea and it must have happened where somebody left something in front of the goal crease and it prevented the puck from going in and nobody noticed it until it, it happened. Otherwise, the rules are pretty are pretty common and they're, they're, it's usually like the international rule book is kind of a, their rules are either exactly the same as all the other rule books or it's, you know, like one rule that's the same in NCAA, one rule that's the same from, you know, the NHL. And you know what I mean? So it's just kind of a yeah. combination. Um, but that one procedural thing, the first time I was told by a supervisor in a game, you know, like, oh, you need to go down and check the net. And I'm like, what do you mean check the net? Like, who's leaving something in front? Like, why would the goalie leave something there to begin with? You know, it's a sports field. Yeah, you know, I'm like, and if they put enough snow there or they leave their stick, don't you think we'd notice it from, you know, not too far away? It just, it's still to this day. I mean, I do it, and I do it very well, but (laughs) it's just one of those things. So the Olympic selection really began, did it begin like last summer, or did it begin before that, even? Um, Before that, so... The being chosen to work as an official in the Olympic Games, a lot of people have asked me, like, oh, did you apply? And, I, and I'm like, no, it's not really like a, a job posting where you would put your application in, but it's more of a culmination of many different things. My 
I would say my Olympic journey, uh, we can call it that, it's really started when I um, got licensed internationally. Once you get licensed, your goal is to then get invited to do an international tournament. Um, and then from there, you you know, they, they evaluate you at the tournament. They put in recommendations. You know, is this the level you can do? Should you move up to the next level? Should you move down because it was too high? And then you kind of work your way up, essentially, that international tournament ladder. My journey started and has been extremely different than most officials in the sense that um, I was licensed, and then that same season, I went and went to Buffalo and worked the U18 Women's World Championships. Now, the Women's 18 World Championships is the second highest level world championship on the women's side, and most officials don't start there. Most officials start doing what they call B-pool tournaments, which are essentially countries that are playing in a world championship that you had no idea they even had ice hockey. Some of these countries you may not even have heard of, and usually you work your way up from there, but you start there. For me, I got a call um, from our supervisor here, and he said, you know, there was a linesman who was injured from Europe, and that she cannot make the tournament in Buffalo. Can you make it? And for me, it was one of those that, you know, I was told early on, if the if someone comes knocking and opens the door for you, you better be ready to kick it open. And so I was you know, made sure that I could go and went. And so my journey started with the U18 Women's World Championships. Um, I did well enough for them to say, you know what, she's good at this level. You know, she did really well, despite the fact that I hadn't done any other world championships before. And then from there, progressed up, did the 18s again the following year. And then this past year, got to do a final Olympic qualification tournament and also the Women's World Championships. So my journey has been much uh, shorter. My international journey has been much shorter. My officiating journey has been quite long, but just internationally, it's been shorter than the average person simply because I started at the higher level. So it's kind of a culmination of that and then getting invited um, to the what they called the pre-Olympic training camp in Switzerland this summer. And they they say it's not a trial, but it's also, it's, you know, it's a way for them to determine, you know, where were you amongst the group physically, you know, have you been doing your training? Um, but also we did a lot of team building things while we were there. And so they look at, you know, how do you interact with your teammates? How do you interact off of the ice and be a team member? So it's it's really, you know... I would say it's a job interview that's lasted years, uh, but it really has been because each each step and each tournament and camp and, and interaction has played a part in, you know, being selected to do the Olympics. Now, at the Olympics, will you have a set group that you always officiate with, or will you all be rotated around? Most likely, we will be rotated around. Um, we... We will arrive um, in South Korea uh, pretty much the same day. Um, I, anticipating, we haven't gotten our flights yet, but anticipating arriving like on the 6th. Um, and then on the 7th, we'll have our, what we call kind of our our meeting. And they will go over just specific details about games and, you know, where our locker room is and, 
you know, anything from, you know, our food situation out there or if we need a trainer, just everything and anything, we'll have a pretty long meeting with a, with our um, team. And then from there, they will probably give us that next day's game assignments. And so then each day we'll get our assignment for the following day. And there's a lot of different factors that go into who's doing what game and why and and, you know, that's something I will never figure out, you know, why someone has a certain game and why somebody didn't get it. Or um, you never know what other different things are going on. Um, the only thing I know about my schedule is that I will not be doing the U.S. team. Um, we're not allowed to officiate our own country. But otherwise, we have no idea how many games we're going to do, um, what, what games or, or what it looks like. Um, the only thing we know is um, we're excluded from doing our own country. Do they give you feedback at all after after a game? Oh yeah, um, <laughs> they we have a supervisor at each game who comes in the locker room after the game and gives us their verbal evaluation, and it's very specific. They will say, you know, for example. At, you know, 12.52 of the second period, you called this. You know, what did you see? And they will tell you, well, you know, that, that wasn't the right call or it was the right call or, or, or whatever whatever it is. Um, and then after that, they will send you, typically that evening, they'll send you a written evaluation form, so basically a summary of what they gave you um, verbally. And that also has more of a... Um, not necessarily numerical ranking, but it'll have like different like skating and then it'll give you a value. It'll either be good, outstanding, or needs work. And so it has it's more specific, so you get that written evaluation. If they happen to have video, they will send you video clips as well for you to look at. And then at the end of the tournament, and again, I'm assuming it's the same in the Olympics, but the World Championships, at the end of the tournament on the last day, you meet with all of the supervisors that are there. And again, the World Championships has been, you know, anywhere from four to six. And you meet with them and they give you their sort of evaluation of the whole tournament and what their thoughts are and, you know, how they think you did for the week. And then after all that, they send in a final written evaluation to the IIHF. And they also send that to your um, supervisor in your country as well. So there's no getting away with having a bad game or a bad, you know, couple minutes of a game. They're they're watching your every move. Wow, so if you have a bad day or a bad weekend, that could that could tank your tournament or your hopes. Oh, most definitely. Um, you know, I've been very fortunate that when I did the World Championships, I didn't have a bad day or a bad game. Um, I had some things I needed to work on. But there was nothing I did that was, you know, detrimental to my tournament or my, my, you know, week. But, yeah, absolutely. I've seen officials make mistakes that really have hurt them in terms of, you know, they didn't get a medal game during that tournament. So, yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, you have to be ready and prepared and focused and make sure that you're not making those mistakes that are out of your control. What do you do to work on 
focus and kind of endurance. Well, I think my the way that my life is and the way my life, things are structured is that I have a very busy, busy life, and my hockey schedule is very heavy. I do a lot of games, so one of the things over the years I've been able to sort of do is, you know, every game that I do, I'm I need to be present, and I'm able to be present for that game, and whatever whatever things I need to do, you know, in my personal life, you know, I put those on the back burner for that two hours for that game. And I've fortunately been able to do that, you know, and the, and the other piece too is, has to do a lot with, you know, are you able to, if you had a bad game or, or you had a, a game that was extremely difficult, you know, are you able to put that in your back pocket for the next game and and have a clean slate? Or are you still thinking about, oh, you know, I screwed up that icing call last game and it cost the team, you know, the the game-winning goal? Um, Or are you able to, you know, process that, understand where the mistake is and move on? And, you know, fortunately, it's something that I've been able to do. And I think I've been able to learn how to do that because I do so many games. When you're moving up into talking about international hockey, what and you hear like bad call ref even though you made the right call what um like uh, how do you deal with that or how what what would you want people who are watching to know about what you do well i think one of the biggest things is that we're human we're just like everybody else you know we're we're going to make mistakes we're human beings and and you know it's part of the game um you know one of the things i tell the people around here sometimes is if I was your daughter or your, you know, or your significant other or your sister or whoever that you are close to, but usually the daughter one is the one that they get. If I was your daughter, would you yell at me in that manner that you are right now? You know, or would you want somebody else to be yelling at me in that manner? And usually they're like, well, no. And it's like, well, you know, if my dad was sitting right next to you, you know, I think he would, you know, take offense to what you're what you're saying and what you're doing. You know, part of the reason, and, you know, my mother always jokes around about this, is that I've been successful, is that she said that, you know, I'm very stubborn. And, you know, I started officiating when I was 12 years old with my dad, and I learned early on that if, if people were going to yell at me and whatever they're going to yell that I need to try to figure out a way to not let it bother me and not let it get me down. And because I'm so stubborn in in my personality and and to me, stubbornness is a good thing. Um, You know, you can use determined perseverance, whatever it might be. But to me, to be able to say or think in my mind, you know what, you can yell at me all day long, but I still know I made the right call. I still know that I'm out here for the right reasons and I'm still working my butt off. And to understand that, you know what, I'm not perfect. I will make mistakes. And if you want to act in that manner, go ahead because the only person you're hurting is yourself or in your kid that's out on the ice. And that has gotten me through it. I've learned over the years how to manage a lot of those things, a lot of the, you know, coaches and and how to manage those behaviors. But unfortunately, that's not the case with a lot of officials. Most people can't do that. And, you know, I, I really, really wish that people would understand, like, if you went to work every single day 
and people yelled at you like that that weren't even part of the company you work for, and it wasn't your supervisor, but people yelled at you that way, you probably wouldn't return back. You probably would find another job. And even though you may be good at it, you'd probably go find something else to do. When you were named uh, to go to the Olympics, what did your parents say? I, I texted my parents together, and my mom's response was, you know, Oh my goodness, so very proud of you. My dad um, texted back and said, so proud of you. And then the next text was, you brought tears to my eyes. And that to me, I just, I mean, even right now, it's like, oh, you know, and, you know, my dad is, is the one that introduced me to officiating, introduced me to the game of hockey. And so for him to say that, it was just amazing to me. You know, my dad and I are close, but he's not a sort of touchy-feely kind of guy. You know, I can call him, no problem, he'll always answer. But, you know, it, it's not really in his personality to say something like that, you know, outwardly to me. And so that text and that communication from them, you know, meant the world. And it's been a really great thing to share with them um, because they obviously sacrificed a lot for me to play hockey to begin with, but also they've always been my, my, my number one, number two cheerleaders in, in anything, but particularly in officiating. Oh, that's fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I, know, I, have, I have tears in my eyes. So. Oh, I know. I was like, I, I called my mom and I'm like, seriously, did he really have to say that? She's like, I know. We're both like crying on the phone. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> how is, what, what is your day job? And, and how has your employer been with like, hey, I got to take a little bit of time off to go overseas and officiate? So I work at a facility here in Maine, in Biddeford, called St. Andre Healthcare. I am, um, my job is twofold at this point. I am the Director of Recreation Therapy, so I oversee all of our volunteer programs, all of our uh, recreation programs and our community events. But I also, in October, started doing the Administrator and Training Program. So 20 hours a week, I'm actually training to become a healthcare administrator. Wow. Those are my... That's how I make my money. <laughs> so basically, you just never want to sleep. No, no. Sleep you is, just, you know, you can sleep when you're dead. That's kind of my motto. It drives people bonkers. But no, I, I obviously am somebody who, you know, always wants to strive to get better. And so when I graduated college in 2009, I actually started working here at this facility. Um, so I've been here for since then, since June of 2009, and I've sort of worked. Um, I used to be just a rec therapist. Now I've moved up to the director position years ago. And, you know, one of the things that they've come to know about me here and, and whatnot is I'm extremely passionate about hockey, and I've made it pretty clear to them that, you know, if you don't let me go and officiate hockey, and not just these tournaments where I have to be away for, you know, a week at a time or whatever, but if you don't let me, you know, adjust my schedule so I can go do something I, I enjoy doing outside of work, you're really not going to get a very positive person here. Um, and I and I preach that to my staff all the time. You know, you need to be passionate about something outside of work to be able to be passionate here at work. And, and overall, you know, life 
happiness and satisfaction. So they've known about hockey for a while. Um, they've also sort of been able to experience my growth and my progression on the international side. Uh, when you know I when I got invited to go do that first world championship, it was a month before I had to go, and I had to miss you know ten days or eight days of work. And at the time, I had no staff working for me. It was a transition in our staff, and I made it clear to the administ- my boss at the time, the administrator, hey, like, I have this opportunity. Whether you let me go or not, I'm going. And she was great, and she, you know, understood that, you know what, if I don't let Jess go, she's giving me her notice. And since then, they've understood that you know, how exciting and how important it is for me to be able to do that. And one of the things, you know, I work, it's a long-term care facility, so we have residents. And so one of the greatest things that I've been able to do is share my experience with our residents here and be able to share, you know, I went to went to Japan in February and, you know, when I, they all knew I was going to Japan and they all heard about how long my flight was and what I got to do while I was there. And, you know, when I got back, I was able to share pictures of, of my experience there and what I did. And so for me to be able to share those experiences, not only with the residents, but my coworkers, uh, of something positive and something exciting, um, it is really great for us as a, as a, facility. We don't necessarily always have the happiest things that happen here. You know, we're long-term care. People pass away regularly here and it's it's hard work. And so it's always nice to have some positive energy and, you know, experiences that, that we share. And so, again, I, I'm forever grateful that I've been able to, you know, take the time off from work and they've allowed me that flexibility to be able to, to do it and been so supportive in that sense. Oh, fantastic. So, when you get to Pyeongchang, you the hockey tournament is pretty much the entire Olympics. Correct. Yeah. Um, I think the games start on the eighth, and they go until I think the medal gold medal game is on the twenty second. So we will be doing games pretty much the entire time. We have there are a few days in there that there are no games, so that'll be our our days off. So we can enjoy some relaxing time. Well, very Will you cool. be able to go see other things, or you um, don't think you'll manage it? Well, they they told us that our access will be limited to other events. If you think about the like the Olympics, they're selling tickets to all these events. So let's say I wanted to go see swimming, because that's in the, like a stadium like thing. Um, they sell tickets. So if they sell out, have a sellout crowd, then there would be no places for us to go and sit. Um, so I, I think that if if our schedule allows us and there are events that may not be sellout crowds or sellout events, we may have potential access, but we won't know that until we get there. Obviously, what our schedule is like and what sort of access we may have we were told that we would most likely be able to go watch the opening ceremonies of the Olympic Games. Um, so I'm, that's probably the one thing that I really would be bummed if I didn't get to go to while I was there. <laughs> but we won't be there for the closing ceremonies. Um, we probably will be flying home on February 23rd in the morning. Oh, wow. So you're done and see you later, in a sense. Yeah, yeah. So the gold medal game is... Thursday, February 22nd at 
1 p.m., 1, 10 p.m. Wow. So I'm assuming that you're out of there. We would fly home the next day, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much. What is your officiating number so we can look for you on the ice? Uh, again, I don't have it yet, but okay. I'm assuming I will have the same number as the world's. So I am 91, big 91 number, but the uh, like I've told everyone here that wants to watch me skate or whatever, I won't be on the ice for the U.S. game, so right. if you can catch one of the other games, um, whether I'm assuming you'd have to stream it online, then yeah, 91, I'm a linesman, so I won't have the orange armbands, it's okay. really easy to determine that, but yeah, it'll be a, it'll be an interesting kind of tournament to see if, if people are able to watch the games or not. I don't know. I mean, historically, I don't remember seeing a whole lot of women's hockey on TV when I was watching the Olympics right. rather than the U.S. team, but who knows? <laughs> we'll be looking for you. When people watch hockey, what should they look for that they might not hear on TV? That's one of the things yeah. we do try to educate our Yeah, I think, our um, I think the creativity that um, is involved with the game. Um, okay. I think uh, people underestimate how, how hard it is to move the puck um, and move it crisp. Okay. And so I think just like uh, pay attention to the passing and the playmaking abilities that uh, players have. How hard is it to do footwork? That's not a good question, but you know, like the footwork of hockey players is amazing. I, I appreciate yeah. roller derby. So okay, like, gotcha. footwork, you know, yeah. like footwork and, and skating is it's pretty incredible that you're on this teeny tiny blade yes. and you can move as fast as you and you got massive pads on. Yeah, so I think yeah, skating, you know, I, a coach once told me if you can't skate, you can't play hockey. Right. And so that's it's one of the like, underestimated things that people, uh, skills that people need to make sure they have down. Um, okay. You know, we, we do a lot of different skating drills, a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of different footwork on and off the ice uh, help us um, out there in the games. Fundamentals, fundamentals. Yeah. Fundamentals, fundamentals. There. Um, how bulky are the pads? How, how hard is it to move? <laughs> um, I, would say, I would say I'm pretty used to it by yeah, now. Yeah. So, uh, I think someone who's just first trying hockey, they're gonna put the pads on and be like, I can't move at all. Yeah. But for us, it's just, it's part of our bodies. It's okay. like, you don't even realize that you have equipment on. Okay. How expensive are the blades? I gotta ask, cause it always blows me away. Like, everyone's like, ah, sports are fun. Every sport is so freaking expensive, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, skates can, skates can cost up to about $900. Uh, okay. Yeah. Luck, lucky me though, I take a junior skate, so they're a little oh. bit cheaper. Oh, that is lucky. Yeah. Yeah. So they're a little, little cheaper, but okay. Yeah, how long do how long do a pair of blades last? Because you can attach the blade onto different boots, right? Yeah. You know, oh, so, so you can get a different steel. Yeah, different okay. steel on the bottom. Uh, those those can, it depends how much you uh, sharpen your skates. Okay. Um, so someone like us, like I like to get new steel every couple months, just so okay. that it's fresh to go and it gets grinded down pretty good so you oh really yeah okay wow so what is a what what does that set you back can i have my ass yeah i mean like yeah if you don't i don't know like i don't know though i just happen to get new blades on there i don't know they just disappear yes oh my gosh oh that's luckily being on being on a team yeah and being with a being with ccm hockey their their company yeah they they do a great job with helping me out um what was the ice like at Sochi? 
Um, it was good. Uh, yeah, we. It was obviously the rink was awesome to play in. Um, uh -huh. It was a great venue for for women's hockey, and then we ended up playing in the men's rink for the the medal game, which will happen in Korea, uh, South Korea as well. So it was. Um, yeah, it was, it was a great venue for us. What is what is good ice versus bad ice? Uh, you want hard ice, okay. um, and you, you don't. Yeah, like soft ice is something you're gonna dig into a lot, and it's gonna oh, get chewed up down. really fast and okay. slow you down. So uh, yeah, hard ice, and you want it to be pretty cold in there as well. Okay. Um, have you have you played in the Pyeongchang ring? I have yet? not. Uh, none of us have actually. I don't think any of us have been over there. Um, okay. So except for one of my teammates, Hannah Brandt, might have been over there okay. at some point. Um, her sister plays actually on Team South Korea. So. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, so still two uh, two Olympic girls going over there this year. So pretty cool. Cool. Well, thank you so yes, much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you, Brianna and Jessica. Good luck to both of you at Pyeongchang. If you look at today's show picture, Brianna is modeling the new Team USA uniform. Yes, we got to see all the different shirts, the different different versions, jerseys, the different versions at the hundred day event. And the hockey players who modeled them look so, so excited to be doing that job. Yeah, I was joking before that they, it was like, Mom, I can't believe you made me get up and do this. <laughs> but they were actually, they were really sweet about it. But yeah, they did not want to be modeling a center stage. Yeah, they looked a little self-conscious. But they'll look good on the ice. They will. They look really styling. Yeah. So in other Olympic news, before we get to trivia... The North Korea and South Korea have been talking and talking about working together for this game. So they're going to walk out as a unified nation. They've just announced what flag they're walking under. So they have, this I think is really interesting. They're going to have a unification flag. So it's a white banner with a light blue, the shape of the peninsula, the Korean peninsula. The entire peninsula. Right. So neither, it's got really no elements from either country's flag. And not the colors either. The blue is different than either blue that, that either side uses, which is nice. And speaking of women's hockey, they're going to have a unified Korean women's hockey team. It'll be interesting to see how that shakes out, not just in terms of competition, but also in terms of like how they team together and how they come together and what they're, you know, what, what jersey are they wearing and, and, and all of that stuff. That'll be yeah. interesting. It'll be fun to watch that. Right, because with the, um, the Olympic athletes from Russia, there was a lot of discussion about what uniforms they would wear and how they're not allowed to wear anything that resembles the Russian flag. Right. Like they can't have the tricolor. They no, but it'll be interesting to see how, how that looks for the games for Russia. Yeah, and a lot of the uh, military and diplomatic experts that I've been hearing talk about it are very pleased with this in terms of a safety situation. They're saying having North Korea there is the best thing that could have happened in terms of safety and security on the peninsula during the games. And whether or not this peacefulness lasts beyond the games is unknown, but at least for those two weeks, that portion of the Olympic ideal will be in place. We can only hope. Yes, exactly. Some other news from the world of biathlon, Allison. Oh, I am crushed because the great Ole Einar Bjorndalen will not be going to his seventh Olympics. He unfortunately did not qualify this year. 
It's very sad. Very sad. Norwegian team, super talented, super deep. And unfortunately, yeah. he's just not he's not having a good year this year. So that will be sad to not have him there. But I, I tell you, the competition for biathlon is still going to be phenomenal to watch. So be sure to check it out. Now, moving on to trivia. Do you have a trivia question for me? I do have a trivia question, and I did go back to doing it about the sport we talked about. So women's hockey was introduced into the Olympics in 1998, and since then, Canada and the United States have meddled. <laughs> Are you going to ask me question? about Torino 2006 when Sweden no. got the silver? Oh, okay. No, no, no. No, I was, so Canada and the U.S. have meddled in every Olympics since then. Yes. Three other countries have meddled. Oh, and that was actually going to be one of the, my possible questions. So Sweden, <laughs> so you know the answer. Sweden is one. Finland is another. And ooh, did Russia get in there? No. Switzerland. Switzerland. Yes. Yeah, Finland's got two. Sweden has two, and Switzerland has one. Okay. My question for you is: How many women's teams versus how many men's teams will be at the Olympics this year? Oh, now I'm going to sound really stupid because I have absolutely no idea. Ah, well, this is a preparation okay, question. Okay. Can you prepare? So, okay. How about 16 men's teams and 12 women's teams? Not too bad. Not too bad. Okay. Uh, 12 men's teams, 8 women's teams. Oh, okay. You had the variable. You had the four off. That was pretty good. So, yes, there will be two pools for the women's the women's uh, team. I believe uh, Canada, Finland, Russia, and the United States are in one pool, whereas Korea, Ooh. Sweden, Switzerland, and Japan are in the other pool, right? That'll be interesting. That's going to be Ooh. one hard pool. Then the men's team break yeah, out. That's rough. One pool is Canada, Czech Republic, South Korea, and Switzerland. Then pool two is Russia, Slovakia, Slovenia, and the U.S., and then the third is Finland, Germany, Norway, and Sweden. And how many times are we going to screw up saying Slovakia and Slovenia? I don't know, but if you want to place your bets, you can email us. Uh, yeah, I'm going to screw that up like a hundred <laughs> times. And now, and how many times am I going to say Czechoslovakia instead of the Czech Republic? Right. I still do that. I feel so bad. I do. Well, now because of we're doing some cold war review in my return to yeah, my return to high school now as a parent versus a student but i keep saying czechoslovakia and i'm like no but that country doesn't exist anymore interesting yeah well that about wraps it up for this week's show next week we're going to be back on the ice and talking more figure skating we've got some great interviews that we've done and we're really excited to bring those to you if you'd like to get in touch with us, always we love your emails, so drop us a line. Info at olimfever.com. And we'd love it if you could tell a friend about the show or drop us a review on iTunes and help us find our Olympic fans because we know you're out there and we hear from a lot of you. We're like, I thought I was the only one and then I found your podcast. So we're finding you many, people. Many people, people suffer from this disease in silence. <laughs> But no more. You have to suffer no more. Tell your friends. <laughs> no more suffering from Olympic fever and silence. Join us. To, we're like a support group. <laughs> we are. It's not bad. <laughs> I like it. All right, folks. We'll see you next week. 
Stay in touch. Email us at olymfever at gmail.com. That's O-L-Y-M-Fever at gmail. You can also leave us a voicemail at 530-763-3837. That's 530-70-FEVER. We're on Twitter at Olympfever, and you can join in the conversation at our Facebook group, Olympic Fever Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. We're like a support group. <laughs> we are.